He looks around his bedroom. Uh, apparently being a drunk means you read a lot of newspapers because there's a lot of discarded <laughs> newspaper on the floor. Well, yeah, you read the papers and you throw the various pages out in different places too, yes. yeah. It's, it's the two things you get with alcoholism. You get a thirst for alcohol and a thirst for knowledge of current events. The two go always hand in hand. People forget that. I want to do like six fucking crossword puzzles. Let's do this shit. <laughs> to the newsstand. Yeah, let's fucking do it. God awful movie. 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 Welcome back to the Gamcast, where each week we sample another selection from Christian cinema because Christians refuse to stop making them. I'm your host, No Illusions. Heath won't be able to join us today. Pretty sure he had another birthday this week. But sitting 900 miles to my northeast is my bad friend, Eli Bosnick. Eli, how are you this fine afternoon, sir? I'm fantastic, Noah. Hey, you know who's not allowed to bathe children? Who's not allowed to bathe children, Eli? Strangers, Noah. Strangers. It's a good cold open. I was worried about the cold <laughs> open for this film. Like, I was very concerned that, you know, because sometimes you and Heath, you have a tendency to jump way too far ahead. And I'm like, can we tell him the context of the naked child joke first? But no, you did good. You did good. Thank you. See, I got it. All right. <laughs> and sitting 4,100 miles to my east northeast is our guest masochist, Michael Marshall. He's the project director of the Good Thinking Society. He's the host of Be Reasonable. He's the co-host of Skeptics with a K. And he's an on again, off again European. Marsh, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Noah. Uh, the weird thing is I'd already written a naked bathing children joke before I watched the film. So uh, <laughs> stop clocks right twice a, twice a day. Yeah, no, exactly. That's why we had you on for this when you had kept sending these emails. Hey, man, if you've got anyone where I can use these naked kid jokes, you know, give me a call. <laughs> That's how I got the job. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So tell us, Marsh, what will we be breaking down today? All right. We watched The Healing. And the healing is the story of a doctor who undergoes a personal tragedy, is emotionally manipulated by a borderline stranger, and ends up living and working in a shithole for zero pay. Yep. But that's a good thing because Jesus. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's exactly it. We could end this show right now, but we're not going to. Eli, how bad was this movie? Well, if you love the kidnapping and medical neglect of Hostel... But the doctors are just too likable. You will love this. The Saw Killer watches this movie and is like, oh, that's fucked up. I'm going to turn this off and go lie in some poison blood. All right. So I'm not exactly sure, Marsh. I don't know your age exactly, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one on this call that's old enough to like actually remember the 80s. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was, you've got to bear in mind that here in the UK, because of how horrible everything is, we're operating at like five years to every American year right now is how much we're yeah. aging with the world around us. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I just, I want to be clear. The 80s looked, the whole decade looked exactly like this movie. I'm I'm offering that up as an excuse for all the cocaine. The cocaine makes sense now, right? Yep. <laughs> I wanted some cocaine every second I was watching this movie. <laughs> Otherwise, everything was beige, right? Yep. Everything right. was beige. There was a lot of beige in this film. It was a very beige film. It was a whole, Crazy. it was a beige decade, dude. It really was. <laughs> all right. So is there anything you guys want to nominate this one for being the best at being the worst at? 
Yeah, I- I'm going to say the best worst dramatic deathbed speech because <laughs> when someone's dying and the film gives over to their dying speech, you really want to sort of milk a drama for that. You want to hit the tones just right. You really want to sort of capture the audience. And this film does none of that. And I've never seen anybody take this long to die. You know, relatives of mine have had terminal diseases that have lasted for months and it seemed shorter than this deathbed speech. <laughs> What I love about this deathbed speech is eventually God just gets bored with it and kills him, right? <laughs> yes. God cuts his mic. Yeah, exactly. Starts playing him off. Yeah. All right. So I was going to go with best worst. And I mean that. Like, I mean best worst in this instance. Best worst dream sequence. Ooh, it's yeah. real good. Oh, my God. This weird experimental 80s music video heroine public service announcement warning it's the it's my every it's like it goes on for like way too long and he's running past all these people and they run out of people we'll get to it we'll get to it but it's it's pretty incredible you remember frying pan girl this is your brain on drugs after she hits the egg with the frying pan it dreamed about this dream sequence that's what it was we figured it out everybody And then I hinted at this at the beginning, but I just want to touch on it again. Best worst comedy hijinks. (laughs) This movie will have some weird fucking laugh beats and we'll cover some of them for sure. But by far the weirdest is, oh, you bathing a strange child against their will and then forcing that strange child to bathe an old man. Yeah, to bathe you back. Yes. (laughs) Happens in this. Yeah, like because I'm going to go with, you know, okay. I don't know everything about comedy hijinks. I'm no expert in the field or anything, but the number of children that are stripped against their will in comedy hijinks, always zero. Always zero. (laughs) That's the first fucking rule. It's the first thing on the whiteboard. (laughs) It's its own letter. All right, well, I'll tell you what. (laughs) This movie is in a big hurry to get nowhere, and we don't want to slow it down. So we're going to keep the break brief, and when we come back, we'll dive into all the malpractice that is the healing. From the makers of The Healing. Ow! Eli, did did you just throw an egg cream at me? Because I love you. Comes a movie about love, not always understood. (sighs) Eli, I'm a conference organizer. Stop posting on Instagram that I threatened to take Steve Novella to Pound Town. I will never give you more than you can handle. But a love that is always felt. This summer, The Helping. Stop giving me pennies. I live in England. No. (laughs) And we're back for the breakdown, and we're going to get some damn early red flags on this one. For example, the production logos are out of focus. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't sure about those production logos because it seemed like they were sort of slightly shaky, and I thought they had some sort of old-timey effect for like a stylistic choice, mm. but it was just that it's shit. Yeah, like, oh, it's interesting choice. No, it's you just you guys no. aren't good at this. No, I'll this was not a choice. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, the Uber they were going for is damn it, the VHS tape we digitized this from broke, <laughs> and the music in this intro gave me every indication that I had accidentally clicked on porn from the. 80s. I was very disappointed when it was a Christian movie. <laughs> oh, they were getting the most out of that drum machine. Yes, sir. 
and then okay, so the movie opens. We get a few. Well, we get a few credits leaving it. They're they're light credits. It's, it's kind of like magic eye. You have to look past them for them to get into focus. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the point of this credits. It was sort of like they couldn't afford a proper graphics department to do a full introduction, so they just put them in random place in the screen that you had to sort of search out, like where's Wally or where's Waldo. <laughs> Damn it! There's the best boy. <laughs> <laughs> found him! Found him! All right, and then so then we open the film on a person cackling like a haunted house clown as he dumps food waste onto a homeless person. And, hey, fun fact, that'll be the most pleasant part of this movie. So really enjoy it as you watch someone dump trash on a hobo. That's that's the high point. It also, he had with him a garbage bag that was only half full. Yes. So it was an over choice he was making to do that because he could have put all that in the bag and then just put the bag in the bin. But no, he chose to pour that food waste on the homeless guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's getting his kicks out of it, clearly. So homeless guy goes stumbling and wheezing his way down the alley, picking up empty uh, liquor bottles, hoping that there will be one little drop of alcohol left in them. Yeah, yeah, and in what was basically a vision of post-Brexit Britain. That's exactly what we're <laughs> going to be. That's what my life is going to be on November the 1st. I'm, I'm not saying drinking out of random bottles you find is how you end up drinking pee, but drinking out of random bottles you find is how you end up yeah, drinking pee. <laughs> yeah, I can see why Heath isn't here this week. This could be triggering. <laughs> he saw the preview and he was like, I need another break. I can't be at this show. <laughs> <laughs> this is how far he made it, guys. So he, he rounds the corner and then there's this weird moment. I have no idea what this is doing in the film, uh, but there's this weird moment where he comes across a lady arguing with a cabbie. Yeah, they do like a they had all of their downtown L.A. slash downtown New York stereotypes, but they forgot to stagger them. So it's just like, what do you mean? Five dollars. They ain't paying you five dollars. And then a gang walks by covered in glitter. And then the <laughs> FBI hands an African-American gentleman a suitcase full of crack. It's just all of the, all of the 80s at once. And I, what I loved was there was a part where she's arguing with a cab driver and he wants $9, she's only going to give him $5. And at one point she shouts, it was a hot and smelly ride. And I thought this is going to get like racially dicey early on. of like oh, They do smell different kind of thing. I thought, oh God, oh, this God. we'll sort of get there a bit, but not at this point. And then, okay, there's this weird moment as because he's still walking around looking for more liquor. And I guess we're doing like bum's eye view, Cam. Yep, but I didn't realize that. So what I thought was just a bunch of kids came to try to grab this guy's camera or something as he was filming <laughs> this movie. Maybe maybe that's what happened and they were like, you know what? We'll make it work. I feel like that's what happened. Yeah, they're like, oh, now we got to get another fucking shot from back there. Get, climb back up on the sign pole, man. It, it threw me as well that the tramp had very clearly walked further than the, the taxi when we then switched to Tramp's eye view of us watching the taxi. So I felt like we were someone following the Tramp at that point. So I got really confused when we then shunted back into the Tramp's eye view and then we, it was all very confusing. <laughs> well, if it was confusing already, uh, let me add to that. Then the bum guy falls down dead on the street. <laughs> but So this is after he gets he gets harassed by three guys in those matching vests. Oh, yeah. 
mm-hmm. I'm very conspicuously bumping into everyone like they're extras from West Side Story. Um, <laughs> and yep. we're meant to believe it's them. It's their intervention that caused them to fall over. But if you look really carefully, what actually happens is they knock some bins over and then a, a, a binman, a garbage man, comes up and he's dressed like one of the Dexys Midnight Runners. Uh, this garbage man comes up near the tramp and the tramp faints. And it's because he's such a massive fan of Come on Eileen. Oh, I he's see. He's overtaken by like, is that Dexys? In the mid-80s, this is the height of their fame. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it now. I like your interpretation of this film so much better than mine. All right. So now we're going to meet our hero, John. We cut to him getting ready in the morning and demanding clean laundry from his pregnant wife. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, what's the matter? Are you mad because you're dressed like a Victorian baby doll? You're mad because you're dressed like a Victorian baby doll. <laughs> it's such a sort of a very ham-fisted way of setting up the dramatic tension here as well, because he is literally singing, life can be so sweet on the other side, on the sunny side of the street. Yes. While she is like very slowly and forlornly and very bitterly looking at old photographs of them. And then she says, literally, I was just feeling sentimental about this picture. <laughs> As if, A, yes. we couldn't tell that. And B, nobody <laughs> speaks that way. That's not how you do it. No one's ever said, I was feeling sentimental about anything. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's a doctor. She was a nurse. We know that because she's looking at a picture of him being a doctor and a nurse. <laughs> and his the, the husband is going, hey, honey, is my blue shirt clean? First of all, you have one blue shirt? You have <laughs> the 80s. A man had a white shirt and a blue shirt and a shirt for partying. I, yeah, like I feel like she's going to open it up and he's just going to have a Roigy Biv closet or something going on there. No, not the indigo one, the violet one. Damn it. But yeah, so he's asking for the, the blue shirt and she's like, I was just feeling sentimental about when we used to be more Christian. <laughs> yeah, remember, I miss our threesomes with Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Remember, we used to go to church. You would help at that clinic. We were just... We were just better people than Eli, Marsh, and Noah back then, really. <laughs> and I love he says to her uh, at this point, he says, you know, pregnant ladies sure have some weird ideas. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, what a sentence that is. That's yeah. the 80s right there. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. Would have been out of place anywhere else in history. <laughs> Flash cuts to her slowly erasing the theory of relativity on a drawing on a chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, if you don't like it. I'm just saying it doesn't hold up to quantum physics. That's because it's not a theoretical, Dan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, so she's talking about how she wishes that they were closer to Jesus. He goes, blue shirt, bitch. I don't want to hear your sass. And by the way, then she goes to get the blue shirt. It was hanging in his fucking closet. Yeah, like 10 feet from him, yes. but he still makes his pregnant wife go yes. and get it. And I think this is only because, I think this is because she is the least convincingly pregnant person I've ever seen. I think he just doesn't buy that she's pregnant. <laughs> that, not being funny, Eli looks more believably pregnant than this actress does. That's fair. It's fair. She was carrying the baby weird. So she, <laughs> yeah, so she carries, so she goes and gets him his shirt from the fucking closet, douchebag. He puts it on. She's like, hey, we, we got to go to church and, and, and be more Christian. And he's like, I already Jesus when I was a kid. I gave it the office, damn it. Uh, to which she gives her little like God killed his son for you. And this is how you repay him speech. Yes. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I mean, guess God's never done anything except killed his son for you. <laughs> And the, the thing is, so he does say to her, he snaps at her, and I suppose we're supposed to see this as a sign that he's such a bad guy. And he does snap at her and says, I gave you enough when I, when we were young. Well, you know, what more do you expect? 
But then she answers without Bible quote, and I'm immediately back on his side. It's like, yeah, yeah. fair enough, mate. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. All right, so now we're going to cut to the next scene, which I can only describe as four men Caucasianing. <laughs> it's these writers' idea of like, bro, just like, oh, business talk, business talk. Do you have a stockbroker? Of course. You got to use my stockbroker. No, use my stockbroker. Let's destroy a ski center. <laughs> <laughs> They also get just even sort of basics wrong in the sense that at one point they're talking about this complex business deal and how they can all profit from it and you know get extra money out of it. And he says, that way we can make sure one of our hands is washing someone else's. Yeah. And that's not how that phrase works. No, that is not a phrase. That's a really hard way to wash your hands, actually. <laughs> my right does your left, your left does my right. Well, as we learn later in the movie, this is a very bathing other people-centric film. So maybe that's what they think the expression means. Oh, it was foreshadowing all along. Oh, this is genius. <laughs> the thing is, these four guys, we established, even though they're talking sort of businessy business talk, they're all doctors. And so they're, they're talking about setting up a, a, a business as like a practice. And at one point, one of them says, well, if it's hairy, it's in my field, kid. And I can only assume that that doctor isn't the oncologist. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All I had my notes, I couldn't keep track of what they were saying because I was looking at 80s clothes and golf clothes at the same time. <laughs> and that's about all I could take. Uh, meanwhile, the... The street kids are playing Ring Around the Bum. Yeah. I'm sorry, the bum cadaver. This is a dead man that they're running around now. Look, if God Awful Movies has a theme, it is the world is never more terrifying than it is through the eyes of Christians. <laughs> and their view of poor people just like, y'all want to eat him? Yeah, let's eat him. <laughs> Don't you eat that bobo now. I'm going to melt him down and inject him into my veins. <laughs> I must admit, I, I was totally confused as to how long this guy is meant to have been lying on the floor because we've cut back and it looks like no time at all has passed. But we know that the main character had time to get dressed, drive to golf, take a few yeah. shots, start <laughs> debating business, and there's still this dead tramp on the floor and nobody's doing anything about it. Apart from these, there's three kids running around the tramp. Okay, then there's three ruffians come along and uh, chase those kids away. Earlier on, we had three gang members. I think the casting director's got some sort of hire two, get one free deal. Going. <laughs> and that's why everything just comes in threes. Well, I love because it's really hard to tell that what's supposed to be happening here is this is a dead man because the guy's very clearly breathing the whole time. Yes. You know, through his stomach. Um, so we're just like, has he just passed out? Is this what's going on here? But then another hobo shows up. This is Jamie. He'll be important to the movie. The, the dead guy, not so much. But this character, Jamie, will show back up. Uh, he comes back and he's like, oh, no, my friend is dead. And then the cops show up to pick up the body. Like like they were waiting for Jamie to confirm the death. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're two seconds away, which means Jamie was like, my friend was dead. And the cops are like, fuck, he said dead. All right, come on, let's check it out. We'll get lunch later. He said dead. Come yeah, on. Yeah, we, we were going to leave because he was breathing. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think because he was breathing and because not very much was clear in this film and, and not very much carries on being clear in this film, I didn't realize he was dead. I thought he just fainted at the sight of bins being mishandled. <laughs> Um, and so it wasn't clear to me. So I thought this guy is going to be like a central part of this film. We've got a, we've established there's a doctor and now we've got this guy who we spent a little time with at the start and he's collapsed. This is going to be important. 
nope, nope, we don't see this guy again. He nope, doesn't come back. Nope. Up. It's not like he's the guy that the doctor's going to save. He's not the person who who gets the healing or anything like that. He just disappears and we never think about him again. Yeah, exactly. And there will never have been a reason why he was in the movie at all. Yeah, this is because the writers were all sitting around and one of the Christians were like, now we need to establish that poor people exist and die, <laughs> right? Like that's, and I think die. that's like, that might have been it. It's like, we got to remind them that being poor will kill your ass. Do we know who that tramp was? Because I'm just thinking now, maybe the director was a massive, massive fan of Hitchcock and this is his way of putting his own cameo into the film. <laughs> He's upset <laughs> <at> dramatic tensions. <laughs> All right, so meanwhile, back at the golf club, they're all sitting around having a few drinks, and oh shit, Sam the Christian is here trying to hit people up for funds for that clinic to help the poor people that are dying on the streets <laughs> bullshit. And again, what Christians think people think of them is amazing. Because, you know, before the record, Noah was talking to Marsh, and he was saying that, like, there's this amazing period in Christian cinema from 1973 until 1989 when Christians managed to be terrible and completely serious about themselves all at the same time. And, like, the talk that they have these doctors doing of, like, ugh, Christians always trying to help people. Yucko. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid morals. Yeah, exactly. Well, and clearly what the film's trying to say as well is that his friend, because he was Christian with his wife, and it's very clear this, this film is trying to say that his friends have peer pressured him out of religion. Yeah. And because obviously peer pressure is a terrible thing when you're trying to pressure someone out of religion. That's the bad <laughs> one. That's a bad type of peer pressure. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that peer pressure is bad, it's that your peers are bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now, okay, there's uh, uh, John, the, the main character, has an emergency phone call. They come and they're like, hey, you've got an emergency phone call. And they joke around about it for a second because they're evil atheist doctors. They joke around about like, oh, I bet it's some asshole dying on your day off, huh? fuckers yeah and he, and he says you know his patients they, they keep reading medical magazines they get a new medical emergency twice a week and i thought well they're atheists they point out how christians are always hitting people up for donations they think diagnosing yourself from a magazine is a bad idea are these characters you guys is there yeah, is right. you? <laughs> three friends oh, shit. Is a prequel to we come in threes <laughs> possibly I mean, the, there's a point as well that I'll, that I'll make out that'll mean nothing to you guys, you guys but it was confusing me the entire way through is that the main character John looks exactly like English footballing icon Bobby Moore the World Cup winning captain Bobby <laughs> Moore he looks exactly like Bobby Moore did in the 70s and it freaks me out constantly throughout this film how much of a ringer is he is for him he looks like Bobby Moore fuck the guy who played Dexter yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you combine the two of them. Yeah. I had to look Bobby Moore up. I'll be honest. I saw it in your notes. I looked him up. I'm like, yeah, but yeah, but with the with the Dexter thing going. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So we learned that Dr. Lucas, that's John, that's the main character. His wife has been in a serious accident. Now we've set up that he has a phone call, but rather than using that phone call to tell us that they have the waiter come over and tell his friends that while he's on the phone. Hey, just so you guys know, I was on call waiting, and that guy's wife is fucking dead. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you. He was just having lunch with you. Um, I assume he would want you to have this information. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he shares that information is so unprofessional. And he's not even quiet about it. There's like, you almost no. want the people at the tables nearby to turn around and go, sorry, whose wife's dead? Oh, no. <laughs> you guys want to see these crime scene photos of Princess Di? I have them with me. I carry them. <laughs> Then I can get your appetizer orders. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he rushes to the emergency room, but 
Well, does he? Does he well, walk? <laughs> if you watch carefully, what he does is he jogs very calmly to his car, which is not the pace that I would go if I'd just been told my wife was in an accident. Yeah, but but damn it, he's too late, possibly because of the jogging. <laughs> and the way we establish this is that we just we see him jogging to his car and then we see him like walking out of an emergency room entrance very sad. Right? <laughs> but but not like tragic movie sad, like Charlie Brown is never going to meet the great pumpkin sad. Just like. <laughs> All right. Just I'm going to save the emails. It was Linus that wanted to meet the great pumpkin. But yeah. Yes. yes exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I just figured I was really shocked that that was her entire death scene. That's how callously we treat women in this film. Well, there's two of them. We don't spend much time with any of, with either of them. But I think they just didn't have the budget to film inside a hospital. They, they either couldn't get the budget or they couldn't get, get permission to be inside of a hospital, possibly because some of the other things they do in this film. Yeah. <laughs> from being near vulnerable people. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, okay, here's my theory. I think there was a dramatic her dying scene, but the actors are so fucking bad that when the producer looked at it, eventually he was just like, you know, if we just cut to the wake, they're going to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, just, the the it. next scene is him in a wake being sad. They'll know. Yeah, because the thing is, also, dying scenes in this film, we know they take like 10 minutes. Yeah, the took forever to die. Later, we'll see someone else take forever. They, they had too long in the film. Something had to get cut. And oh, this wake, ah, the 80s, when you could wear a bright gray suit to a fucking wake. (laughs) With fucking pinstripes. It was a pinstripe light gray suit at the wake. Yes, it was, sir. And I love, so he's sitting in the middle of the room being very sad. Everybody's just like, everybody's just like, you want to talk to the husband? No, fuck. He looks sad. (laughs) It's a wake. Yes, he's going to look sad. But the only one who's going to help is Bob. Bob walks over and he's like, here, have alcohol. It's a great way to cope with loss. <laughs> here is a glass that I, I can't emphasize enough is brimming with apple juice <laughs> uh, because we're Christians and we don't drink. So yeah, we don't right. know what no, a pour You're going to have to lean over and slurp the edge of this before you pick it up. But yes. <laughs> Might as well have brought him a cocktail and a fishbowl with a big umbrella and a cheeseburger on it. <laughs> we don't know how alcohol works. We're Christians. <laughs> What I love is that he does, Bob gives him this drink and then we immediately cut to the next scene, which is him waking up in bed. And I thought, did Bob just roofie him? <laughs> That's the only explanation here. Bob has spiked his drinks. <laughs> also, okay, so we cut to him. Okay, he's waking up to his phone ringing. His phone from 1878. <laughs> Wait, this is not what phones looked like in the 80s, not the 1980s anyway. Yeah, he, he answers it. It's the operator who's saying he's got a call. With <laughs> yeah, <her to> exactly. <laughs> then she walks over to the table where no one's there. It's four in the morning. She's like, hey, if someone was sitting here, I'd tell you that he's getting a call from John. I don't know why I do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but OK, so he's he's getting a call from work and we, we figure this out by the end of the call. This is the it's been six weeks. Rub some dirt in your dead wife and get back to work. Call. God, I like. I bet they had to draw straws on who had to make that call, right? Well, and I love that he's like, uh, tomorrow. Yeah, let me check my calendar. Yep, wife is still dead. I can come to work. Yeah, just a little, <laughs> let me have a nip of this Nyquil, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he goes to get up, and he opens his bedroom drawer, and there's a bottle of alcohol in it. 
Which is silly because there's also a bottle of alcohol like sitting on top of the same nightstand. Yeah. So if he was yeah, going for on the liquor. As well. <laughs> yeah, right, right. There's also one on the floor. And, and this film is so hard to get through that I thought by the end of the film, I'm not sure whose who's floor would have more empty bottles of liquor yeah, on it. Yeah, right. It is watching it. <laughs> but don't worry. He's not an alcoholic, though. He's not. He starts to drink it straight out of the bottle. But he pours it in a glass first, right? <laughs> yeah, because if you're going to have a drink the moment you wake up, you should be civilized about well, it. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Again, very triggering for Heath. That's why he's not here today. <laughs> but not here. Even the, the amount that he pours in the glass is less than a mouthful. And then he drinks it, and we immediately cut to him asleep again. And I thought, Bob has definitely spiked his booze. All the booze in his house is spiked. <laughs> well, that would make a lot of sense, since the next scene we see is Bob showing up in his bedroom while he's asleep. <laughs> yeah, with ominous music. Yeah, felt like a Brett Kavanaugh moment. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. And But... What we're supposed to see here is that John's bedroom is messy now that there's not a woman to cook and clean for him anymore. And Bob looks around like, tisk tisk, John. Dead wife is one thing, but a messy bedroom? Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. No, he's all grieving and drunk, which is why his wall pictures are askew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know you're drunk then. <laughs> You never gotten drunk enough to rearrange the pictures in your house? Okay, Noah, Mr. High and Mighty. And there's a lovely moment where he sat on the bed and he, he turns to Bob and says, don't worry, I'm pulling myself together. I'm going to be all right. I've just got, got to get going, you know? And I thought, mate, we've all been there. Just give him a minute. He'll be fine in just a minute. He's just got to get himself going. It's fine. All right. And so now we're going to cut to him back at work. We cut to the hospital. We have this this movie has this weird habit of spending a lot of times on things that don't matter and then skipping over things that do. Right. Mm. So what we're going to see here is that Bob has fallen asleep at work with a liquor bottle visible and they have to fire him. But to get there, we have this like eight minute long scene where all the people have to like come and get Bob and communicate with him through gesture. This was a very, there's a few things I found very confusing about this. First of all, they open with a, a, a shot of Bob, I think, and a nurse. But in the background, there's a sign and the sign says, Secretary Carolyn Fat. Now, I don't know if her name is Carolyn Fat and she's the secretary or whether she's just called Carolyn and it's just a really mean sign that someone's put up in the office. <laughs> it was the 80s. You could get away with those things. Sexual harassment, fat shaming. It was a free time. <laughs> And then I, maybe I wasn't paying full attention to this scene, but you've got what I thought was Bob talking to the nurse and they're behind a glass kind of a full length glass window. And then what looks like Bob walks up to the glass window and I thought, oh, was it a mirror? And so was he was he on this side and we're shooting in the mirror in a sort of an arty kind of way. But then the two Bobs walk along the glass window and then meet at the door at the end. And it was a window the entire time. It's just they found a guy who looks almost exactly the same as Bob just to confuse me. Right. And I thought, they weren't far away from mimicking each other like they're the fucking Groucho Marx in, the, in, that, in that one film. You know? That's what I thought they were going to get to at this point. It was really confusing to me. It, it, it really was. Like That seems like a weird thing to just zero in on, but literally the guy is swinging his arms in the opposite motion of Bob and everything. Yes. It was really fucking weird. But yeah, just as you're sitting there going like, okay, what are they trying to do here? Then we get to the, oh, okay, it's just that they're going to fire him for having his, his liquor bottle sticking out. Yeah, John... Asleep, having drank around Bob again. All the evidence is mounting up. Bob has got the problem here. 
Um, so, okay, so now we get him, like, get, putting all of his stuff into a box and getting fired and everything. He has a long, touchy look at his uh, dead wife's picture. Well, his dead wife's headshot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wrote in my notes, God, I miss her. She was the best damn mall photo place model in the world. <laughs> there wasn't a mall photo place in this country that didn't use my wife's photo. <laughs> oh, God, his, his office annoyed me. Like I listen to this show a lot. We've established, this show's established that Christians don't understand a lot of the world around them, but I didn't realise they wouldn't understand what a doctor's office looks like. No, nope. But they clearly don't, because John's office, as a doctor, yes, he's got a desk, his desk is right up against the wall, and he sits this side of the desk, right by the door, with his back to the door. If a patient comes in, where the fuck do they sit? Do they sit behind him on a couch somewhere? Do they have to sort of like perch on top of the desk? Do they sit to his side? That's not what it's, but we all know what doctor's surgeries look like. How do they not know that? And they fuck it up even in Bob's as well. Yep. But they get to Bob's office in a bit. He's got a desk. It's by the window, but not right up against the window. There's space to sit on the side of the desk near the window. And Bob doesn't. He sits this side with his back to the door. So the patients have got to come in and walk all the way around him to yes. sit by the window. This is not how it works. It's like a James Bond swivel, but you make the person doing the walk for you. Hello, <laughs> Mr. Bond. If you'll just stand on this lazy Susan at the door to my office, you'll notice. Okay. He's also, he's got, okay, so he goes to get the, his name played off the door. Clearly it was being held on by post-it note glue. <laughs> he also has one of those creepy ass porcelain doctor statues that every doctor had in their office in the 1980s by law. Were those a real thing? Because yes. I've never seen one of those things before. And he kept, when he was picking things off his desk to put them in the box, he kept avoiding it. And I thought, is it not, am I the only one who can see that? Is it, <laughs> is it not there from him? It's the, the oh. haunted doll that shows up in all of Marsh's movies. <laughs> like, later we cut back to the, the, the uh, another scene, like another bit of the scene where he's moving things on his desk. And the doll's still there, but it's facing away from him like it shamed him, like it's like turned its back on him. It's so weird. No, we missed a great opportunity. We should have denied that we saw the doll and just <laughs> digitally inserted this doll into every movie and documentary we ever invite Marsh to watch. With. <laughs> yeah. Marsh, there's too many doll jokes in your notes. I don't know if it's a thing you're trying to create, but we really, it's not a bit that works. Yeah, and we know the next time I'm at uh, a GAM live show, we know what you're dressing as as well. <laughs> it's the one time no one will reference it. <laughs> Next time I invite myself to QED, I'm bringing nothing but my Pendolphin collection. (laughs) (laughs) I also love, okay, the choices in this film. We skip the wife dying bit. We skip the him actually getting fired bit. But we're going to get all 20 goddamn minutes of his walk of shame out of the hospital (laughs) with this way too big box that he clearly can't see over the top of. (laughs) He has to constantly, like, it's one of those things where, you know, you're almost done, but you're like, if I shift it again now, it's just going to be silly because I'm almost to the car now. But he keeps having to do that with it, and it's, like, collapsing, so he's walking a little faster now. It's yeah, very awkward. Yeah, he underneath it to support yeah. it while he's trying to walk, and it's, just, it's exactly. awkward, yeah. <laughs> Everybody blanks him, even Secretary Fatty blanks him, so clearly he's the one who put that sign up, and she's not interested in speaking to him. <laughs> Um, and then just as he gets out to his car, damn it, if he doesn't break his creepy porcelain doctor and his wife's picture frame. Aw. So now that he's hit rock bottom, he might as well drink and drive. <laughs> <laughs> the drinking and driving in this scene is 
fantastically irresponsible. He's going full marsh after QED is over. It's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a lovely bit as well. There's a lovely bit while he's driving to illustrate how irresponsible he's being. He raises the bottle to a toast, and at the same time, an ominous didgeridoo starts playing <laughs> yes. in the background. And I wrote my notes. Oh, that he must have been toasting that Aussie busker that he just drove past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't know if you're supposed to be toasting or whatever. I think it was just they were like, hold it high enough, the camera can tell what you're doing. He's just got this awkward hold going on. So he drinks some of his liquor and then he drives to a bar to drink even more alcohol. And while he's in the bar, damn it, if the street thugs don't start stripping his car. Right. But it's the 80s. So all you needed to take a car apart was a hairpin. Yeah, that's Cars true. Cars were apparently made out of Legos from 1980 Honestly, until 1995. Like basically, yes, that's how easy it was to take all the parts <laughs> off of a car in the 80s. And I'll point out, we've seen two black people in the film so far. One of them was in the gang that was robbing the tramp who was dead. The second black person we see is the person breaking into his car. We are two for two in terms of black people being criminals in this film. We're going to keep that average going, by the way, (laughs) just so that you know. Yeah, they even steal his his box of getting fired shit or whatever. But he, he comes out of the bar and sees that his car has been stripped down and nothing. It's up on blocks and everything. Uh, but he's so drunk that he just thinks that's pretty funny. Well, he does. He he bumps into uh, to, to Jamie the tramp. And to be fair to him, he does. Like, I think the tramp Jamie says to him, somebody stole your car. And our main character, John, says, well, someone stole most of my car. And to be fair, that's a pretty funny line. I actually it giggled it at is. that line. <laughs> but then he immediately follows up with, I just hope the parts they stole were paid for. And I thought, ah, you should have stopped with the first line. I don't really, yeah. that doesn't work. That is not a funny line. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so this, but this is where he meets uh, Jamie. Jamie was the guy that we saw crying over the dead homeless guy at the beginning. See, that scene totally made sense. Yeah, it matters. The authors of this movie. It comes back. <laughs> so he goes off to drink with this guy, right? He's like, ah, oh, man, your car got uh broken into that seems like the kind of thing that would make you want to drink and he's like yeah i do want to drink and he's like you should buy me one and he's like okay and then they wander off together they wander off because the bar is closed and the and jamie says who needs a bar when there's a corner liquor store and i wrote in my notes the heath enright story (laughs) (laughs) but I, i do like this is a tramp in a red light district that's saying oh yeah just follow me around the corner to the back of the bar and i thought this film's gonna get a bit sexy at this point yeah. is that rock bottom? <laughs> this is where we're going at this point but once again we cut away from all the good stuff we miss out on the gay <laughs> sex all together and we cut to him waking up now in a homeless shelter uh, john ah uh, that's the third phase of grief or the fourth i don't know <laughs> yeah. i'm not familiar <laughs> denial well, he's, Anger, he's waking up. Shelter. He's woken up by the sound of what is meant to be snoring, but the the person doing it can't do snoring right. So it sounds like someone gagging. And that just made me think that John had fallen asleep while the old guy was blowing him. Oh, it did get sexy. Yeah, right. He, he, he wakes up. Jamie's got a hairball that he can't get up or something, apparently. <laughs> So and then he's got it like apparently there's a medical emergency, right? And he's a doctor. Damn it. He knows what to do. Have someone else call an ambulance. (laughs) (laughs) My God, it's the 1980s and people can afford health care. Quick, call a car that is of average size that we call an ambulance these days. (laughs) (laughs) So Lincoln Continental will load him in the truck and treat him in there. And also, so the soundtrack here is pretty sure that CPR is A, very exciting, and B, always accompanied by Shaft chasing a bad guy. 
Yeah, the, the soundtrack's amazing at this point because we also see it from his eyes at one point, and there's a really <laughs> tense action shot where he's looking around the room with that kind of shaft action music going on, but he's looking around at just a lot of people sleeping. And yeah. then, then <laughs> once he starts the CPR, there's just extras who are looking on, and they look super bored by this whole thing, and it, the, the, the juxtaposition is perfect. It's, yeah, so the ambulance shows up and gets uh, Jamie, but then he starts noticing that all of these people at this homeless shelter are not in great health they could all use a good doctrine yeah one, one guy has pneumonia and so his solution is to try and get him back into the hostel which is not a good idea because he's got fucking pneumonia <laughs> yeah. and he was in the hostel to begin with and that didn't seem to cure his pneumonia <laughs> yeah and then and they and they treat the guy running the hostel like, he's the bad guy. He's like, this guy has pneumonia. And he's like, well, don't bring him in fucking here. Yeah. And, we're, and we're supposed to go like, what an asshole. <laughs> what? No, they, he's right. Yeah, that's good advice. Don't bring him in there. Take him somewhere where they can do something about the whole pneumonia thing that you found. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but they won't let him go in there. He has to go down the street to the mission. Right. And again, what the movie wants to do here is contrast between that grumpy old hostel and the sweet and loving mission where everybody is happy and fed and filled with the love of Christ. Yeah, this was this when we cut to the little establishing shot of the mission. It's the first time that I learned one could scoop oatmeal ebulliently. This guy might as well be singing a song and doing a little dance where he spins around or something. Yeah. yeah, cartoon birds helping him hold a spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also, okay, so again, little moment, but it's a great filmmaker's moment. As John and the homeless guy with pneumonia are coming up to the to the mission, they show him from across the street and they pan back so you can see the sign that says Center Street Mission or whatever the hell it says. But the sign is so fucking high up that they basically need an aerial shot to do it. So it's panning back for just a ridiculously long time. And we're like, are we going to see a sniper or something in the foreground? But eventually, no, it's just the sign. Are we going to end up in heaven? And In fairness, I did write down that once we're inside the mission, we do see our first black people in this film who aren't criminals. Or at the very least, they aren't actively committing crimes right at that very moment. That's as much as we can say, because we don't know where they're going to go after this. Yeah, right. But they are homeless at the very least. We haven't presented them as equals to the whites yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he comes in and he's like, hey, I got this guy. He's got pneumonia. Can you guys call an ambulance? Yeah, I, but weirdly, he's even more casual than you just delivered it. He's way too <laughs> casual. He's like, yeah, this, he's got, what he says is like, yeah, he's got uh, pneumonia with, with complications. So could you call an ambulance or is there a clinic? It's like, you need to be way more enthusiastic about this. This is, <laughs> pneumonia is bad. Complications are worse. Why are you walking this guy around? You are a terrible doctor. Well, and that's the thing. If all you were going to do is call an ambulance, the hostile guy didn't say you couldn't come in and call a fucking ambulance. You just called an ambulance from that hostile. Yeah, you're the one who tried to return him to the hostel like he was a bad purchase at Macy's. And now you're now you're like, okay, it was the it's because I was too worked up. Hey, how's it going? Love the mission. Love the whole cartoon bird scooping thing you got going on. Quick question. Do you have okay, do you know phones? Do you know calling? You do. All right. I have a proposal for you. I love to, he goes like, well, we don't have a clinic here at our mission. All we have is Nurse Mary. 
And then Nurse Mary shows up and everyone in the mission rolls into the back room like they were going to train fuck her or something. <laughs> Everybody line up for your free Mary sponge bath, which again will make sense later yeah, in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I thought, and I'm so disappointed, this, it just shows how badly this story was told. I thought, okay, we've got our the second woman in this uh, film who's been named, and if we discount Secretary Caroline Fat, I thought <laughs> this means it's his love interest. He's going to definitely marry her by the end of this film. And we we send a lot of the signals that that's going to happen, and it just does not pay off. Well, because it's not a Christian movie, so it would have to take years. There would be years <laughs> of courting. He wouldn't be allowed to be in a room alone with her. It's a whole thing. <laughs> so everybody goes back to see Nurse Mary. They call an ambulance for the guy with pneumonia. And then John is talking to the guy who runs the shelter. And the guy who runs the shelter says, exact words, you, know, you said you were a doctor, but... You look more like a drunk to me, my friend. Yeah, and that's prejudice. You can very easily be both. People exactly. are both. It's absolutely fine. Pardon me for saying this, but you look like a smelly hobo. Are you <laughs> sure you're not a smelly hobo who thinks he's a doctor? <laughs> he goes, have you looked in a mirror lately? And he's like, no, because I look like I that British footballer guy fucked a dude from Dexter and no one wants to look at that. Yeah, yeah, I, I wrote, uh, have, have you looked in the mirror lately? Because you look a lot like Bobby Moore, but after the cancer hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, he tries to explain himself here. He's like, hey, I'll have you know that they stole my car and my weird shattered doctor statue. And then <laughs> I woke up at a homeless shelter. And the, the other guy, to his credit, is like, oh, so like you didn't drink until someone stole your car on Center Street? And he's like. All right, I'm gonna leave. I'm leaving this homeless shelter. I'm gonna take my business to another homeless shelter. Come on, pneumonia guy. Good day, sir. I say good day. <laughs> All right. So, um, just in case this movie wasn't on the nose for you enough yet, at this point in the film, John goes home. And we literally watch him take a long look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looks around his bedroom. Uh, apparently being a drunk means you read a lot of newspapers because there's a lot of discarded <laughs> newspaper on the floor. Well, yeah, you read the papers and you throw the various pages out in different places too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the two things you get with alcoholism. You get a thirst for alcohol and a thirst for knowledge of current events. The two go always hand in hand. People forget that. I want to do like six fucking crossword puzzles. Let's do this shit. <laughs> to the newsstand. Yeah, let's fucking do it. So yeah, so he goes to clean up his drunken mess. He's cleaning up the booze bottles and resisting the temptation to drink the thimble full left in him. Good for him. And then we count it to him eating hangover food, wearing baby shit green pants. And Sam, you remember that Christian guy that was trying to raise money for that clinic at the golf club earlier? Anyway, Sam shows up at his house. Yep. And I just want to point out that during this, like, eating scene, he's doing, like, Eugene O'Neill level DTs, even though he's supposed to have done, like, Six weeks of drinking? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he even says to Sam, well, you're interrupting my attempts to put nutrition into a body that's severely damaged by alcoholic poisoning. And that line would have gone a lot better if his T-shirt wasn't so tight, it showed off his pecs and his abs. Yeah. Very he's, he's not, that is not a guy that's severely damaged by anything at this point. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, okay. So now apparently... Sam is there to try to talk John into taking up the white man's burden 
and opening that clinic with him over on Center Street. That's all I know about this scene, because other than that, I just stared at John's Casio watch the entire time. And <laughs> oh, my there God. There was a time when a doctor would. That walk- grandfather clock <laughs> that he had tied to his wrist with plastic tubing. <laughs> oh, also, we should point out that Sam's approach to this is, uh, you know, the day before your wife died, she told me how much you sucked. She was like, yeah, really, <laughs> yeah, really am disappointed in him. And I just thought I'd pass that along to you and, and anyone you were eating with. So please let me know. <laughs> and Sam, the stuff that Sam says is, is great because he's saying, uh, well, you know, they told me about what you did for that old guy with pneumonia. And uh, John says, well, anyone would have done that. I was like, D- done what? Walked him around a city and then left him to cope with pneumonia and complications at a soup kitchen. That is not what anyone else would have done. <laughs> and Sam's even saying as well, well, you know, the violence on Centre Street is higher than any other street in the city. And we've seen zero violence at this point. We've seen some kids run around a tramp, and that's the extent of the violence that we've seen at this point. So it's a very safe city other than that. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, exactly. So yeah, and, and so, so Sam's like, you know, because, of course, Sam is a doctor. They're like, you know, and they have to explain away why it is that Sam couldn't just do this clinic himself. But apparently he's too white or something. He's like, I don't speak jive the way you do, John. You're hip. The kids will listen to you and take their flu vaccines. I, I don't <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I got this, but that was the argument they were going for in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Sam says, uh, well, you know, I try, I, I try to talk to them and they just call me. He says, they, they, they called me a fat cat capitalist looking for kicks. And that does not like, sound like that's a conversation that happened over the clinic. That sounds like a different <laughs> subject for that conversation. You were proposing something other than a fucking flu vaccine, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. And then it, like just in, in a move that this movie has no recognition of being a dick move whatsoever, he's like, Sam starts going like, look, if you won't do it for me, do it for your dead wife. Right? Yeah, yeah. You go to see a guy six weeks after his wife dies and you start trying to get him to give you free labor by starting the sentence, if you loved her and you're the good guy for this film. They yep. think you're the good guy here. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, yeah, if you love your wife, you'd be a Christian and open a clinic for me. And then Sam fucks off and leaves John to wrestle with all that shit that he said. There's a lovely moment when Sam fucks off because John walks into the door and Sam walks through the door and we see literally a split second shot of Sam on the other side of the door. Yes, yes. Just in case we couldn't imagine what him leaving might have looked like. <laughs> Where the fuck did Sam go? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Just because once again, Christian film viewers have not got object permanence. So they have to have it really shown to them. Oh, there's two sides to that door. I get it. I get it now, y'all. It's like our door at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then late that night, this movie treats us to a dream sequence that I could just watch over and over again for the rest of my days. I want to talk about hand waving ladies so bad. <laughs> Oh, we'll get to hand waving. I loved all of it. I loved this scene so much, and this is the first time in the, mo- in the movie that I, I actually laughed really hard out loud, and then I had to pause the film and rewind it and get my wife to come and have her watch this <laughs> yes. film and watch this scene of the film as well because it's just beautiful. It's it's John's nightmare about Sam's speech, which in fairness, it's a hundred percent reasonable to have a nightmare about yeah, Sam's speech, but right. what a nightmare it is. Yeah. So the 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 way okay, he's running down the street in slow motion. 
His wife's there with her heaven baby. Remember, she was pregnant when she died. So this is his heaven baby, I guess. And all the people that need his help are running alongside of him, trying to grab at him, right? Yeah, so, well, his wife is saying, on repeat, souls, 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 yes, souls which is yes. really creepy. They think it's a good thing, but it's really fucking creepy. <laughs> all right, so here's the here's the cast of characters that we get. We have um, wife in the heaven, baby. We have heroin guy literally shooting heroin to, into his arm and then waving that part of his arm at John. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a young Charlie Sheen who's who's holding up a sign saying, I'm literally doing a drug right now. <laughs> and then there's a lady just waving her hands. And I have a very important fan theory about this. They ran out of drug props because it was the 1980s. <laughs> and so that lady was just like, I don't know. What if I'm like, like a kitty? <laughs> and no one had it in their heart to be like, no, Margaret, you can't just rare like a kitty. And spoiler alert, Margaret will be a prominent featured extra throughout the rest of the film. She will transfer from the fucking dream world into the real world and no one will ever acknowledge it. And she's she's not good at what she does either. Even if she wants to be like round like a kitty, she doesn't really put her heart and soul into it. So it just comes off as like disinterested Tai Chi. She's Zen and we're not looking for Zen on this scene, Margaret. And then... The motherfucker sits straight up like The Undertaker. Bingo. I'm pretty sure you get the all square before this movie is over. <laughs> and, oh, and then, of course, he goes to turn off the alarm the next morning. And damn it, if he doesn't find the Bible that his wife gave him with the you should start a charity clinic inscription right there on the bedside <laughs> table. So, all right. So then we head to the clinic where they're hard at work putting up door molding. So that he can be a doctor from there. Yes, they're just nailing up the door frames while they tell him about how horrific his working environment is going to be. They're like, yeah, so uh, that was all we were missing to be a medical clinic was a door frame. <laughs> yeah, this stuff needed to be hammered a little bit. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, right. No, it didn't even need to be nailed up. It just needed to be hammered. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't bring any drugs. People will steal them. Don't bring any medical supplies. People will steal them. So I guess you're just going to be... A guy? <laughs> and the thing to bear in mind, this they, they open this by saying, oh, this is the room that Mary always uses. So how bad a condition was it in when she was in there? What has she done to that room that it needs so much repairing before it can be used to treat people? <laughs> that bitch people? will just rip up your molding in your, in your room if you leave her in there long enough. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to a side view. And the thing is, it's not ready to use because the entire room is a completely empty wreck. So I thought, what have they done for Mary here? Like, how yes. does Mary operate in a room like this? Well, she's only a nurse. We don't need to take her seriously. Oh, it's a doctor, <laughs> right? We better make this place habitable. It better infect something. There's a real doctor here. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. Frame the doors. A doctor is here. <laughs> and then, okay. So also, uh, Tom is the guy who runs this this shelter. So Tom tries to say Jesus words to, to, to John. <laughs> and mm. John is ready to have a fucking fight. It's the best. Like, again, this is 1970, 1980s Christian movie. I was ready and waiting for this. I was not expecting the pastor guy to be like, you know, the thing about God isn't for John to be like, hey, fuck your Jesus. <laughs> fuck your Jesus right in his fucking face. I'm a doctor, Jim, not a fucking Christian. Yeah, right. <laughs> and to his credit, pastor guy is like, uh, strong reaction. I mean, Jesus is kind of our thing. It's a mission. <laughs> <laughs> 
But what John says as well, he says, oh, you can save your scripture for those who have to listen it, listen to it to get their soup. I treat everyone no religious blackmail. It's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly our argument. You've hit it yeah. right on the head there. But you're going to be the bad guy in this. But you're absolutely yep. nailing it here, mate. Yeah, eventually he'll learn better. But at this moment, <laughs> he'd be willing to treat a Muslim. Yeah. Also, Tom delivers this amazing line. He says, all right, you do your thing. I'll do mine. But I'm going to use my Bible just like you use your medical books. I so wanted somebody to come and say, hey, I think my wife's been unfaithful. Can you check? <laughs> Can you give her the test of the dirty water? See, John, we both have yeah, things to exactly. contribute. Yeah, exactly. Look, her uterus <laughs> fell out, and now we have a doctor that can help you with that. Another guy walks in. I found a dead person on my property. I have a calf that hasn't done any work. See, John, we both contributed. <laughs> Let's wash our hands over that shit. <laughs> and this is where we meet Nurse Mary, winner of the... This was almost my best worst. Winner of the fakest wig I've ever seen on a human. Oh, her hair's amazing. She's got the weirdest hair I've ever seen. It's like the style of a bob, but it's disproportionately large. It feels like her hair is like a foot closer to you than the rest of her. <laughs> yes. It's like you fed a Halloween adventure Beatles wig after midnight. That's what her hair looks like. <laughs> also, where did she come from? Because she appears in the room. <laughs> yes, right. We've just seen a side shot of the room and it was empty. So where did she come from? Did someone say a name five times into a mirror or something? I had to teleport in. <laughs> she drops in from the ceiling or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love this little montage afterwards because we get this doctoring slash Jesusing montage where we learn that both of these men are helping people, aren't they? Yes, they are. <laughs> Equally. But he cle- he clearly does not know what he's doing as a doctor. You've got the, the the dream lady who it seems like I can only figure that she's got a splinter in her finger or something like that because she's <laughs> holding a hand out in that kind of way. She just waddles in. She pats him on the head. That doesn't really happen in medicine, but there we go. He's got an eye chart on the wall. I didn't think he was an optician, but fine. <laughs> and then he's treating a guy who's uh, got track marks on his arm. And John very clearly takes the guy's arm and shoves it right near the camera for a really yeah. good look. Like, oh, look at all these track marks. Oh, this isn't good, is it? Yeah. And then, okay, so yeah, we get a few doctoring things and then he walks out and he hears Tom delivering some sermon or something. And he has this like the look on his face that I would have if I had to do like a real thing in one room while somebody else was doing Christianity in the other room. Yeah. Please start heckling Jesus guy from the bank. Please start heckling Jesus guy from the bank. Boo, read Deuteronomy. So, all right. So, so John goes back into the clinic. Right. He walks back into the clinic where Mary, the nurse, is there. He's got the creepiest look on his face at this point. He has a really <laughs> creepy look on his face. He shuts the door. And I genuinely got scared at this point because we framed him <laughs> as the bad guy. And I thought, oh, God, no, where are we going with this? But it's, <laughs> yeah. fine. it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Mary's safe. Mary's safe. <laughs> but he rightly points out that none of this should count as charity because he won't let those people eat until they've listened to the sermon. Right. So really what you're doing is you're charging them their time to give them the food. And he's right. Yeah. But we know he's the bad guy because he's wobbling his head back and forth while he delivers it. And it's all right. We all know that smug atheists, they're all smug. They're all bobblehead, bobblehead figurines. <laughs> they have no strength. And they, atheists famously have the neck strength of a newly born baby. You know, you've got to support an atheist's head when you pick them up. That's kind of the key. Really. <laughs> 
Well, and what's amazing is Nurse Mary's response here is like, I, we would give them food whether or not they listened. And I wanted John to just be like, cool. So why don't you give them the food first before <laughs> right. the praying thing? And she's like, don't be a jerk, John. You know, they wouldn't fucking stay for the. Yeah. People like the Bible. Bible's a great book. Yeah. No, <laughs> she offers up three arguments. One, he'd feed them even if they put their hands over their ears and yelled, la, 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 I can't hear you. Two, homeless people love that shit. And three, <laughs> the Bible is magical. And I and John's reaction is so good. It's a little callous, but he's right. He, she's like, the Bible gives these people hope. And he's like, but right. But they're terrible losers that will always be destitute. <laughs> Giving them hope seems like an, a kind of a mean thing to do, right? Especially if that hope isn't in a tangible form like job support or a living. If it's just magic words and she's like, <laughs> magic words, then how come the Bible says you're not a loser even if you think you are and there's a tremendous amount of evidence that you are? Like, <laughs> you're making my point? I feel like you're making my point. And of course, this is where John has to get to uh, basic, basic, right? He has to say like, I just can't believe in a God that would kill my wife and my unborn kid. But don't worry, Nurse Mary has a great analogy for that. She's like, you know, when you give these kids these vaccines, they don't know why you're hurting them, but you do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I was really nostalgic for a time when people who cited Bible verses also still accepted vaccines. That yeah, was, I was... <laughs> that's a hell of a world to have been in. Wondering yeah. if they lost some audience there. <laughs> yeah. As God said, Ali, Ali, oxen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote, God's nothing like vaccines. He really does cause autism. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the, but the analogy breaks down, right? Because it would be way different if like when the kids came in for the vaccines, he was killing their mothers. <laughs> so he goes, yeah. that's different. And the nurse goes, is it? And I say, out loud, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She says, you know, uh, like children, we don't always know why we're hurt in order to be made well. It's like, yeah, Mary, but like his wife and unborn child were like really hurt, like sad montage walking out of a hospital level. <laughs> yes, of hurt. right. Going cutting straight to the wake levels. <laughs> I wanted her to continue with the metaphor and be like, but you don't have smallpox of the soul. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> There's little bits of sin. Nope. Your so, body gets used to stupid. Come back to me. So, yeah. So she <laughs> says, well, you know, you're going to find God after all. He says, I'm, I'm looking for God and I haven't found him. And she says, well, I'm sure you'll find him if you, you know, Bible quote, Bible quote, look in your heart, whatever. And she walks away. And then he yeah. goes. Well, he carries on talking. At this yeah. Point, doesn't he? he yeah. Says, he, like, <laughs> well, God's going to have to find me because I'm not looking. And then the door opened, and I really wanted to be God at the door. Why didn't you I've, just say so? <laughs> either that, or I really want to be Mary at the door, saying like, "Sorry, sorry, John, did you did you say something?" Like, <laughs> normally, we finish the conversation before the person leaves. So, um, was something you want to say? <laughs> but no. Um, instead of it being God or Mary, it is dying homeless guy from before Jamie that he that he got the drink with after his car got uh, stripped. Jamie is there to be his medical assistant. So now we get a Jamie helping him do medicine montage. It's the best. Oh, this is He's so like, confusing. Don't, don't you worry, Doc. I'm going to help you with my old timey hobo wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And okay, yes, Marsh, you, you, you have this in your notes as well. This is the most confusing introduction to ever because at a certain point, 
they walk into the building they're in while they're talking, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we immediately cut. Jamie walks in. He's going to be the assistant. We cut to them walking into a building. It's the building they were already in. Yeah. What, what happened? And then I, we cut I to don't... them being in that building still. Yeah, yes. we, we just needed an establishing shot of them. Oh, it, just in case you, you'd forgotten where they were. We'll show you where they were. <laughs> or how they got finding. there. Oh, they got there through the door, y'all, through the door. <laughs> That's the thing. They were testing out the new door frames. And oh, they, they do this a couple of times in this film. They keep having these weird... The sort of shots of establishing shots or cuts between things that actually are the same continuer. It's really, it's really strange. It throws me every fucking time. Yeah. Oh, they do it a lot at the end too. The whole last 10 minutes of the movie is that. Oh, and during this montage, by the way, of, of Jamie helping him be a doctor, there's this great moment where this hot chick tries to steal. They're, they're all like in like a take a number thing. Like this was a deli or whatever. And this hot chick tries to steal some little kid's number. <laughs> She's my favorite character in the movie. I, I'd like to think she also gets, she ends up getting that little kid's treatment as well. So it's, it's written down in the notes. <laughs> what got. Okay, so you've got croup. Okay, a little, little for croup, but uh, sure. Be sure you take this teething medicine three times a day, yeah. <laughs> All right, and then fucking, and then Jamie drags in a, a reluctant child who he and John strip naked against his will. And he drags, Jamie drags that boy with a technique that looks worryingly practiced. This isn't the first young boy he's dragged to a bath to strip. <laughs> yeah, it's like this kid knew what was coming. Yeah, they bring in this kid and they're like, hell, he's pretty dirty. You know what that means? And they're like, yep, I know what that means. And then we cut to them in the basement with this kid in the tub, both washing him. So weird. Not part of clinic services. <laughs> no. <laughs> Noah, you were a young man of 45 in the 1980s, so maybe you can tell me, at what point was bathing other people's children against their will okay? okay. And can we make America great again? <laughs> <laughs> and look, like, the, here's how bad it is. Like you, you have you can't imagine how bad it is without actually watching the movie. Here's an yeah. actual line from Jamie the Hobo at one point. He says... All right, now let me get you toweled down, Timmy. Yeah, yeah. And this is the second time in the film that I wrote exactly this. This is literally our argument against religion. <laughs> this is exactly what we say is happening. But we say it's a bad thing. Well, it's it's like, if the- what have you been up to today, Timmy? Well, an elderly tramp and a disgraced former doctor gave me a bath in the basement of a soup kitchen. <laughs> this is not good. Lucky you, Timmy. Lucky you. Uh, yes. and- Jamie ends the bath with a line that is chilling. He says, well, your mother is never going to know you now. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to need dental records to recognize you, Timmy. (laughs) Well, it is if this wasn't fucked up enough. Yeah. Then they go, okay, so the kid gets out, throws a towel around him, and then they go to leave and they're like, nope, nope, nope. It's time for you to soap up. Jamie now, and they then have the child bathe the old man. We were watching, at this point, we were watching a half-naked child wearing a tiny towel bathing an elderly tramp. It's so strange. Against his will. And he's he's (laughs) threatening violence at the child as he does. The kid's bathing him, and he's like, oh, Timmy, I'll kill you. I'll pull the teeth out of your skull. (laughs) I'll put spikes under your fingernails, Timmy. You'll never see the end of me. Yeah, it's like, so the the kid is bathed against his will. The kid is then made made against his will to bathe the tramp against his will. And I'm watching this against my will. This is just several. (laughs) levels of a lack of consent 
All right. So now we, we cut back to the streets. We see Jamie trying to go into a bar to drink again. But the kid that he just bathed and John run in and like, nope, you can't drink alcohol anymore. Now, I pieced that together in retrospect and I would not stake my life on it. That's my theory on what they were okay, going for. I, I literally just wrote in my notes, people don't want Jamie to go in that door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only got the bar thing when I saw your notes, Noah, and that suddenly makes sense because I just saw Jamie trying to go into a building and a child that I didn't even recognize the same child. It was just because we couldn't see him well. Right. A child just ran up and said, Jamie, you can't go in there. And after the last scene, I assumed it's because he's not allowed within 100 feet of a school. <laughs> I assumed that's what was going on. Jamie, your ankle bracelet, come on. <laughs> So instead, they take this kid to a dinner because apparently they've just taken this child as their ward now. <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, the eighties. If you held a kid, if you had your hand on a kid for ten seconds, that was your kid now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they licked the kid so no one else wants. Yeah, it right. <laughs> oh God, I'm surprised we didn't see that scene. <laughs> But there's another weird edit here as well, a totally weird edit. They find Jamie at the bar, they stop him going in, we fade to black, and then come up from black as they walk inside another building, and it's a continuation of the scene. And so you didn't need to fade fully to black there. This this is meant to be like, a, what, a minute later or something? It's so weird. I, I feel like they, they just wanted to prove they could, right, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I just assumed the director got sacked after the bathing scene and they just had to sort of like figure the rest out themselves. The part where he got arrested for filming, that has been cut out there. Yeah. Dave, did you cut 47 reels of bath time scenes and only one other reel of the rest of the movie? And fade to black while I run away. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love to. So they're ordering breakfast. But then we cut to outside. There's a black person out there. So, you know, he's looking for somebody to rob. We get ominous music when we see a black person. When yes, they just appear in the window, do. we get ominous music. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh, black people, the music said. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, they're trying to, like, scheme on who they can rob, but then they don't find anyone good to rob, so they leave. <laughs> Yeah, and they, they look around at who they're going to try and rob. The guy from the clinic who had the track marks, his friend who's Napoleon Dynamite, basically. Uh, he's looking around, he's saying, well, we can't rob John because he hasn't got a TV or anything. They look at a lady who's rummaging through a bin and say, we can't rob her because they tried to rob her last week. These are not elite level criminals. <laughs> yes. They are not bringing their A game to the crime business. <laughs> yeah, we so assume like, that lady oh, digging go. through the trash had at least something on her, but no. <laughs> I mean, we could wait until she's finished digging through the trash and we could steal that from her. Yeah. <laughs> but well, then she's got that. Okay, so then we go back inside the diner. This is where we learn that um, Jamie was going to be a preacher before he became a homeless alcoholic. Yeah, and we learn this as they start to eat and uh, Timmy goes to, to eat something and uh, Jamie smacks him on the hand for not seeing Grizz because it's really important for the kid to learn that the stranger who bathes you also gets to physically discipline you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No eating till we thank the wizard. Don't forget to say amen or I will bathe you again, damn it, Timmy. I love this line, too, because he goes like, yeah, I was going to be a preacher before, you know, I became an alcoholic. And then John's actual line is, it figures. Now, yes. I don't know why the writers had John say I know why I would have John say that, but I don't know why this <laughs> movie had him say that. Well, I, I do get it because John says it with a chuckle. And as a man who's just seen Jamie undress a small boy he found, I get it as well. <laughs> no, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I really yeah, do it, think I get that now. Yeah, It yeah. does figure. And then, okay, so there's this amazing moment here. This is 
probably the most 80s moment in the history of film. John says to Timmy, he's like, uh, or, or, you know, Timmy wants to take some of his breakfast home so his siblings can eat some of it, right? He tells him he has six and a half siblings. Right. And then Jamie responds to that and it's sort of like, oh, six and a half. Like he's gurning and it's going to be a setup to a joke. And the kid doesn't say anything. It's just end. That's, there's no follow up. There's no punchline to that. <laughs> yeah. I assume there'd be some sort of punchline. We'd explain what the half meant. Nope. We just don't talk about that. He's just got six and a half. That's fine. We'll carry on. Yeah. Yeah. Little Jimmy was born with no legs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say flash cut to a pair of children's legs just sitting at a dinner table in a tenement somewhere. <laughs> And then so John says, wow, six siblings. I, I hope your dad makes a lot of money because our country really doesn't take care of people in your situation. <laughs> but no, although I did want Timmy to be like, oh, yeah, no, my dad's a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's why I came to you for a bath because <laughs> <laughs> of how great my family's doing. <laughs> But then uh, little Timmy explains that, no, actually, his mom's a welfare queen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Living off the system, just just as some starving children mooches. Here, have this copy of the bell curve. <laughs> Here's the, this is the actual line. The kid says, but we get more welfare money every time there's another kid. So... Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, the, the trailing off of the soul is really weird. And also this film at this point isn't making the argument that it thinks it's making because it's saying, oh, you can survive for so easily without a job if you just survive on welfare. But Jimmy's being bathed by strangers and has to be fed <laughs> by strangers. It sort of says the welfare state isn't very good at this point, surely. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, honestly, at this point, I was just thankful that little Timmy was white. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, quick before this makes a hard turn straight into Reaganomics, I guess we can take a break, but I got to still give Act 3 the hard sell here, so here it goes. Will John do whatever is still required of him before this fucking movie can end? Will the 80s learn where the waistline is supposed to go? Will Timmy's mom buy lobster with her food stamps? Find out the answers to these questions and more when we return for the Zeno's Runner conclusion of <laughs> The Healing. <laughs> Every minute is longer than the last minute. Yep. <laughs> so, Timmy, what are what are things like at home? You know, what does your what does your dad do for work? Oh, my dad ain't around, Mister. Oh. Yeah, it's just me and my siblings living off the government. I tell you, the other day, this man he came to the door and offered my ma a job, and she just said, "Nah, I'd rather live off the government for free." Did she now? Oh, she sure did. What with child support and food stamps and social security. She says, we live high on the hog off the sweat of the American brow. Sometimes I think if someone were to, I don't know, remove the social safety net, she'd get right back on her feet. Can I bring this home to share with my brothers and sisters? Sure. Thanks, mister. Well, here's your $50, Timmy. Thanks, President Reagan. I have dementia. You do. <laughs> and we're back for more of this shit. When we last left off, John and Jamie had promised to buy Timmy whatever he wanted at dinner if he'd keep his mouth shut about what happened in the basement. And we're going to rejoin the action with a 
frightening number of children lined up in the clinic's waiting room now. <laughs> okay, this will never be explained, so the only conclusion this movie can have us draw is that these kids are like, I hear you're giving out fucking bats. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, this is more vaccine shit. They are losing audience like crazy. <laughs> They've got a, like a little uh, vaccine assembly line going out here. Where Jamie gives them their lollipop and their fucking kiss. Yeah, he kisses them. And at one point he slaps one of them as well. It's like, what is going on here? <laughs> the 80s were a fucked up time to grow up, guys. I just want to point out, I was fucking Timmy's age during this year. So. <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. <laughs> We get yeah. to the end of this film, we find out it's Noah's origin story. We see Timmy's hair grow long down his shoulders. I'll show you, Jamie. <laughs> Give me a kiss. So, yeah, exactly. But I also love that there's sort of like this, you know, boy, look at all these kids that need his help. It's like a, a world filled with illness as though there were no God at all. Yeah. <laughs> but then as they're leaving that night, the junkies from earlier steal John's medical stuff and push Jamie down. Push do. him down to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, ultimately, yes, yes, this will be a fatal pushing. It, <laughs> this movie has a very odd idea about the, the ways in which uh, people who live on the streets die because we've had two fatal fallings over at this point. People just <laughs> fall and then, oh, he's, he's hit the ground. I'm afraid he's gone now at this point. But we've had pneumonia with complications cured by soup. So again, yeah, the medical... <laughs> They don't really get the whole causation thing. So, yeah, they're like, no, no, dead people fall down. The arrow falling down is fatal. Yeah. He gets internal injuries. They say in a minute he gets he's got internal injuries from his falling down near these these criminals. It's so weird. Yeah. Well, and and then so they take him back into the clinic and they're like, well, Jamie has to go to a hospital. But Jamie hates hospitals. So fucking what? You take he's the... clearly got a criminal record. He's clearly <laughs> that wasn't the first kid he's bathed. He's known. <laughs> it's the washerman. Ah, shit! They caught me. Now <laughs> yeah, this is really going to put a bad twist on my forgiveness monologue. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that he's he, that he's got no, he's known as the washerman. Like he's got that kind of uh, criminal nickname. He leaves his calling card, which is a lot of soap suds at the scene of every one of his crimes. <laughs> So, yeah, and then there's this weird moment where apparently Tom is trying to get John laid, right? Because they're like, well, I guess one of us is going to have to sit with Jamie and, and see if he's if, if he's OK. And Tom's like, I'll do that. John, why don't you walk Mary home? And that's that's such a weird moment, because literally the line before Tom says that is Mary saying, I thought I'd come and sit with him for a while to relieve you. So she's saying, I'll sit with him. And Tom goes, yeah, I'll stay with him. Why don't you fuck off? Yes. Like, I'm not here, Mary. <laughs> Mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, so, well, then we hear her conversation and we can see why Tom wanted her to the fuck out of there, right? Because he walks around, <laughs> she talks entirely in halted Christian platitudes through this entire dialogue. But to be fair, John matches her in awkwardness, right? He comes from the Heath Enright school of flirtation. Oh, your neighborhood sucks and your house sucks. Okay, bye. Everyone who lives here deserves to die. Take it easy. He says, your place is shit. And essentially, everyone in this shithole deserves to be here. And she goes, yeah, but you know, Jesus, so what are you going to do? You know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and he's like, well, you know, I'm too screwed up for Christianity. And she goes, 
No, the Lord loves a broken and contrite heart, John. He's got really dangerous kinks. It's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, look, what you're saying is God loves to break you and then make you apologize for it. That's yeah, what God loves. Exactly. In that. Broken and contrite. That's how he wants you. But of course, she's got what the Christians think is their trump card, apparently. She's like, you know, God killed his kid for you, like people who love you do. <laughs> yeah, he killed well, his kid for you because he was mad at you for him to forgive you. I, I wanted to, I wanted that to go on a bit longer as well. I wanted to say, like, you forget that God sacrificed his only son for you and also your only son for you as well. He your only son. So if you think about it, you and God are even or you owe him twice or does it cancel out? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, but so he walks away, doesn't even get the good night handshake. No, but he does watch her walk up the entire, every single set of the set of steps in her house. <laughs> it's 40 minutes, basically, of her slowly walking up a set of steps. This movie does not know how to edit at all. No, yeah, again, and, and for that, we missed the gunfight somewhere or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so he goes back to see Jamie so that Tom can fill him in a bit on Mary's backstory. Apparently, she was born to a welfare queen, too. And here's how awful they introduce this. It's like, so what do you think of Mary? And he's like, I mean, you know, Christian women, those old maidens. And Tom's like, hey, 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 she got the shit fucked out of her by her <laughs> husband. He's dead now. She is not a maiden. Yes. She got so the shit fucked out of her. Oh, and, we, and, and we all know how the husband died. How the husband died is amazing. <laughs> he died. <laughs> yes, she's like she's like you know he was married. She was married for a long time, but then her husband died in a knife fight in an emergency room. A knife fight at the emergency room. Why do they hold a knife fight there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have taken this outside. We should never have scheduled this in the emergency room. Uh, we thought we'd be saving time. You know, you you yes. I'll meet in the emergency room. We'll have the fight there then. <laughs> But no, this was a, this was a bad idea all right. Goddamn knife fight. And there's also this great moment, and this this is one of those things that Christians do to me all the time that pisses me fucking off so bad, and they have no idea that it's an asshole thing to do. Tom is like, you know, you're a good person. You can keep telling me you're not a Christian all you want, but I don't believe you. <laughs> I love that. so. I love it because every time I see it in the movie, I get to scroll up to Noah's notes, which are always like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> but Tom walks away. Tom's like, you deny Christ and that's your problem. And then he walks away. And then we hear, okay, so apparently John has a voiceover that speaks in vinyl. Right, because every time he's supposed to do a a, a voiceover, the, the the audio quality kicks down about three notches. So his voiceover goes, "I do deny you, Jesus," and then he cries for a bit. <laughs> and then and then we see a cut of him walking home, and then we immediately cut to him back in the same fucking room like he did yes! just walk home. What yes! is this film doing? <laughs> Testing out those door frames one last time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now Sam, the guy who originally suckered him into taking this job by exploiting his tragedy, shows up and, and, and he's like, hey, how things coming along here? And he's like, uh, fucking sucks, man. Fucking 
sucks. The Sam showing up is so weird as well because we 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 open the scene with like John treating a patient and then he stands up and Sam is just stood there and the door is shut and it's like Sam where did you come from and have you not heard of doctor patient confidentiality you can't just walk in here when I'm treating people this is weird. Who the fuck keeps saying people's name into the mirror in this room? <laughs> um, and then oh and then of course Timmy runs in Jamie's stuck in a well. <laughs> which which means by the way which means jamie's in there with serious medical complications in the other room and they left timmy to look after him yeah why was he on watch this this clinic has major major issues with safeguarding well to, to make matters even worse fucking john goes into the room that timmy was apparently just in watching over jamie Pick some loose pills off the counter <laughs> and feeds them to jamie <laughs> Those are suppositories, Timmy. No. Oh, God. No. <laughs> they were used. Oh, God. <laughs> but now Jamie wakes up and he starts saying Jesus words. And I wrote in my notes, well, that'll be the end of him. Because I didn't think that this was going to be a 17 minute long scene. Oh, this was <laughs> such a long scene. I, I oh. wrote in my notes, Jamie's taking a long time to die. Get on with it, you old drunken pervert. That's <laughs> What's amazing is I, just one moment in this di giant death monologue, he's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know all about the Bible. But he has this great moment where he goes, can I confess my sins? And there's a seven hour long pause while all the characters in this movie are like, uh, not to me. <laughs> and so he just sort of goes like, OK, no response. Going to go ahead and keep monologuing since you uh, took up the confess my sins. I, I felt so bad for him because at one point he goes, I sure do regret not having a, been a preacher. And I'm like, how sad is your life if that's the best regret you can come up with on your deathbed, right? <laughs> and then after that, my fucking notes are like, God, is the whole last half hour of this movie going to be this dude dying? All of our notes. And I especially want to give props to... Marsh exceedingly British notes who become more and more British as Marsh gets more and more bored. <laughs> it's like a note-taking form of a Be Reasonable episode. Just, by the end, all of his notes are just, mm, mm. I mean, there's just nothing to say about this. Jimmy does say to John that he has to save little Timmy because Timmy wouldn't listen to Jimmy. And that, to me, just sounded a lot like Jamie wanting to hush Timmy up. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. John, you've, you've got to sort Timmy out. He wasn't listening to me. You've got to, do, you've got to sort this for me, John. Promise me you'll do this. <laughs> oh, and then after like nine minutes of Bible quotes, he goes, now everyone pray with me. I'm like, wasn't that whole fucking thing a prayer? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And he keeps going quiet through this yeah. speech like he died and then he starts up again and I've got a theory I think he was ad-libbing all of this just to fuck with the other actors <laughs> so they knew he was going to get to the end of his death scene but like no give him give him some he let, let him do the scene himself and he was just keeping it going it took him seven minutes to die that was an eighth of the film that we'd seen yes. so far was him on this one death speech <laughs> an eighth of the film Yes. Yeah, there are literally false stops in the prayer and everything. And then he dies mid-prayer. He goes, dear Heavenly Father, I'm so... And then dies. Yeah, yeah he can't even die mid-sentence the right way. Because the way you do it is, oh, dear Heavenly Father, I'm so... And you drift away. But he doesn't drift away. He stops on emphasis. Yeah. He emphasizes the last word and stops. It's Oh, it's amazing. And then John goes... 
well, I guess you'll have to finish that sentence to God personally. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but when I say it, it's a threat all of a sudden. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, flash cut so much to Jamie just bothering God as he walks around trying to do his chores. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great, Jamie. Cool. You know, I got a, got a lot of babies to give cancer to today, Jamie. So, Oh, is this, what, what does that one evolve into? Um, so, yeah, so then... Uh, John walks out and he's got to go find Timmy the street rat and, you know, give him the whole, don't worry, I'm sure we can find a different old man to bathe you, Timmy speech. <laughs> yeah, and he's talking to Timmy and uh, Timmy says something to him and I didn't get a single word of it. I couldn't understand a, a thing this kid said throughout the entire film. I think he was sad, but I just got that from context clues rather than anything else. I have no idea what was going on. Yeah, I, I have in my nose, I have no fucking clue what that kid is saying. That's all yeah. I've got. <laughs> Could they not have done another take on that kid, on any one of those the, the lines that kid said? Or was that the best version they got out of that kid? <laughs> I, I I feel like if I had turned on the, the uh, closed captioning at this point, it'd be like, oh, come on. Like, we fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then and then John's vinyl voiceover starts to chastise God, but then thinks better of it at length and decides that he does want to be a Christian after all. So I got to yeah. tell you, God, sometimes... Okay, you know what? This one's good. This one was good because you killed my friend and then you killed me. And I just want to point out, we had watched the show Hannibal before I started watching this movie. And my wife was more freaked out by and left the room because of this film at this point. <laughs> she was like, this is fucking weird. Let me know when we're going to watch a guy who eats people again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. he's in his head. He's going... God, I don't know if I believe in you. You know what? I do. I'm a Christian. And then he immediately turns to Timmy and he goes like, Timmy, you should be a Christian. I don't know what religion your mother is or anything. <laughs> this, is, this is like when I watch a YouTube video about a thing and decide I'm into it. And the next time I see Noah, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Are you really into this thing? And Noah's got to listen to me talk about the thing I learned about this afternoon for 45 minutes. <laughs> but a religion. <laughs> All right, so John heads back to the clinic, but this time as a Christian. So much so that he even kind of likes Tom's preaching now. Yeah, the only thing that we see change about John is that he spends less time doing medicine now that he's in Yeah, right, right, yes. He's in the back doodle. We see a whole Bible reading montage and shit. And then, and then his buddy Bob shows up. Remember the guy who kept roofing him at the beginning? Yeah, he turns up because he's had no one to roofie for a while. He's, he's just coming. He just figures a clinic that's a good place to find to find targets. So, I'm sorry, I've been trying to dose Carol, but I take I give her five pills. She doesn't even get dizzy, man. I don't know what to fucking do. So, but Bob shows up and he's like, "Hey, man, you know, now that you got yourself cleaned up and you're not a drunk anymore, you want to go be a real doctor and make real money?" And he's like, "No, I'm happy in my shithole. No, but I'll tell you who would like to work here: you." <laughs> yeah yeah he says nope i'm signing you up once a month here it's on the clipboard now you have to come and bob's like damn it's on the clipboard i have to come okay. and now we get another goddamn doctoring montage yep yeah but it's not very good doctoring he helps a guy off a bed then he reads the bible to the charlie sheen wannabe uh drug mm -hmm. addict guy and then he's he's trying to inject a child that is visibly feral. I mean, this is a child that is writhing around angry. And all I'm thinking is that this is a child he tried to bath and the child's having none of it. And now he's going to have to sedate the child in order to get him into the bath. Mm -hmm. I get it. 
And also, by the way, all the neighborhood kids gather around to hear him read the Bible now. Oh, God. And then we see Splinter Lady's back. We get Splinter Lady. We get the Tai Chi Lady, the, the Kitty Lady, Margaret. She's back. <laughs> We've got no idea what's wrong with her. But now she's got two doctors, one on each of her hands. <laughs> yeah, right. So she pats Bob on the head, too. And you know this actor's like, that's my thing. I pat him on the head. That'll be, that'll be a, a, a I'm a head patter. That's my. I'm on the movie. I let you use my house for the opening scenes. You got a <laughs> head patter lady gets three full scenes, and she's in the dream montage, and she's in the dream montage. So, but yeah, but like speaking of a house, he's now living like at the clinic or something. What happened to his house? He right? definitely had a house before. It was beige. <laughs> there was newspaper on the floor. We've just forgotten that he has a house, and so has he. Right, yes, yep. clearly. That was a lot of alcohol. It's like that lost episode of Hoarders where they just burned the guy's house down. That's what they did with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a controlled demolition. So then he has a long voiceover where he thanks God for being so awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I wrote in my notes, uh, but it was all right. Everything was all right. The struggle was finished. He'd won the victory over himself. He loved Big Godder. That's, that's, that's what I've written in the notes. <laughs> And then, okay, the next day, the red bandana gang is walking down the street and John recognizes him, right? He's like, hey, those are the kids that killed Jamie. Hi, guys. And But <laughs> but, the, but instead of doing anything about that, he, he walks over and he tries to like AA one of the street drunks. Yep. This is the guy who says, and I quote, well, I ain't prayed since I was a baby. What? <laughs> I did not pick up on that. That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Well, he says, I ain't prayed since I was a baby. I'll consider it. And I just wanted a shot of him like sitting down on a bench. Hmm, should I think or should I not think? I'm a hobo. Let me give this some serious consideration. <laughs> But he also said he'll consider it in the same way. He, he said it like he was accepting medical advice, like it, like the doctor told him to like you know change your diet, do a bit more exercise. It was sort of taking in that uh, in that spirit. But he was just being told to pray. Yeah, oh god, it was such a bad scene. This whole time, at this point, I was almost switched off because I just thought, why is this film carrying on? Surely yeah. this film is done. He's been converted. He's fine. He's accepted the truth of God. He's accepted the big brother of God in there. We're done, right? This is that's the end of 1984. It's the end of this film. Why do we carry on? Yeah, right. No, yeah, exactly. Jamie's even dead. Why are there still 20 fucking minutes to go? Yeah. Well, we're about to find out. So he tells this homeless guy he should pray and get off the booze. And then he tasks this random homeless alcoholic with walking Nurse Mary home. <laughs> like, I almost know your name. I'm sure you'll be fine. Walk her home. And she, but she's like, it's all right. The street punks would never rape me. I, I think there's some Vagina Dentata reference there that they cut out <laughs> earlier in the film. But, and, and by the way, she says that and then walks out of the movie. Yep. Yeah. She's like, she's like ah, it's fine. I killed one of them very publicly, very gorily once, and they just sort of make, <laughs> make a path for me. I still wear his teeth around my neck. Here, check it out. <laughs> so John goes into the back to like, I don't know, close out the cash register or something. And one of the punks sneaks into the clinic to demand that he write a prescription at knife point. Yes. And I love this because the punk speaks in full Mr. T mode. He's like, <laughs> you gotta write me a prescription, fool. I ain't getting on no praying. That's what he just Mr. T's all the way through. Yeah. Oh, and I wanted him so badly to be specific here. Like, you're going to write me a prescription, fool. 
not not Vicodin, man. That's got some. That's gonna make me nauseous. <laughs> well, yeah, no, like a codeine something. Ox, oxy would be good. Like oxy, <laughs> but not a pill form. If you can get it in the patch, that'd be great. <laughs> he also he puts the knife to John's neck. And he said, I saw a program on TV about how you can kill someone by slicing them right in this spot. By which he means the neck. Yes. And John's like, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. I want to watch that TV show. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome to Dateline. Tonight, stabbing in the neck, deadly menace. Find out more. <laughs> yeah, that'll fucking kill you. <laughs> So, yeah, and then, okay, so the movie has clearly established that when you're a doctor, the your number one health concern is knife fights. But don't <laughs> worry, John, he went to medical school. He knows how to knife fight. So he goes full ninja, slaps the knife out of the guy's hand, and then throws him to the ground as though the Hulk fighting Loki at the end of Avengers. <laughs> Right, like the punk tries to hit him with a crutch. He neo-bends out of the way. <laughs> For me, this was even more proof that he should have ended up marrying Mary because he's already proven he's immune from the one thing that killed Mary's previous <laughs> husband. <laughs> you can't get him in a knife fight. He was perfect for her. Oh, and he then calls the other doctor guy and he's like, hey, bring some old clothes. It's going to get messy. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. It's yeah. some serial killer shit now. Yeah, we're going to get medieval on his ass. Okay. I love that. There's a, so they, they take him to the, I guess, the d delirium tremens room or whatever that they have at this clinic. And now him and another doctor basically tie this kid to a bed for a while. I love the, the light slap he gives at this point to try to uh, push John away. I also love that this, and I mean, this is a movie trope. It's not just like a Christian movie trope, but I love the like, trust me, if we don't give you heroin for two days, when, when that's over, you'll be great. Yep. You'll, you'll be, be just great. fine after that and you won't want heroin anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really weird line as well where John is, he says, oh, I'll help him. All right. But I'd like to slam his teeth right down his throat. I thought that is a weirdly violent image for what has been a, a not a very violent film. Like you could say, I want to punch him, I want to slap him, but I want to slam his teeth right down his throat. It was just weirdly visceral. In for front me. of him, right? Yeah. He's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. And he's like, no, man, you're trying to get revenge on me for killing your friend. And he's like, no, I'm not. Anyways, I would love to hurt this person. Let me tell you. <laughs> okay, but you just wet. said, I can hear you. <laughs> All right, so now we get the scene where he's like sitting over the kid, watching over him, and we're getting his voiceover, like chastising God a little bit, going like, "Okay, man, I get it, but don't make me help the the, the black kid." Yes, he's a hate bring, dear Lord. <laughs> yes. I hate him. I hate his stupid face. I'm gonna help him, but yuck. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Oh, there's an awful bit as well with this character who we already have a black uh, a black character who's both a criminal and a drug addict. But in talking to him, it turns out his father ran away when he was when he was a baby as well. So like, yeah, if they'd have thrown in like a, a fried chicken reference, they've basically got racist bingo <laughs> at this point. It's that offensive. Oh, it's awful. I will say though, there's this moment that I appreciated, and and I normally don't really appreciate this. As John is praying, uh, heroin kid that the kid's name is Sal, by the way. So Sal sits up and does that like waking up, sitting straight up thing that I hate so much, but it interrupts a Christian prayer. And that's the one time I'm willing to accept that physically impossible feat. We're okay with it. <laughs> um, so now it's time for a detoxifying and learning Christianity montage. Right. Like, so like 
John explains, he's like, I used to be an addict too for, you know, six weeks plus. I also yeah. was addicted to a thing. I know what it's like to be you. That was such a, a rough like month and a half where I was drinking <laughs> occasionally from a bottle that I occasionally found. Oh, it was it was it was dark times. And then we get what honestly is the weirdest thing any human being has ever said to any human being. Because John goes, you think you understand pain? Well, here's what real pain is. And he goes through this incredibly detailed description of Jesus getting tortured to death. Oh, it's so weird. It's so, so weird. He wasn't asked at all about Jesus up until like a few days ago. And now he's super into the torture porn aspect of it. Yeah. You know, we we spend almost as long on Jesus's death as we did on Jamie's. And that was fucking forever. <laughs> Right. Well, as weird as the message, you don't know pain until you've been crucified is what makes it all the fucking weirder is that at the end of it, Sal is like, dude, that's fucked up. Who are you talking about? Which means this yeah. was just coming off as a threat the entire time up to now. <laughs> right. He's never heard of it. He's the only American who's never heard of Jesus. It's amazing. Yeah. You maybe you heard of this guy, this Jesus guy. I, yeah. I, first of all, whatever your goals are, OK, when the white guy's talking to the black guy, let's not lead off our metaphor with imagine you getting whipped. Okay? <laughs> Just as a general rule. It's whipping you until your back is a piece of meat. And then he says, shoving a crown of thorns on your head. And he says, and then they make you carry a heavy beam to the place where they're going to kill you. And at that point, I wanted Sal to say, like, all right, so so don't carry the beam. Like, what are they going to do? Kill you early before they can make you suffer anymore? <laughs> I just like, love there's an easy the, out there. <laughs> I just love the fucking juxtaposition there. Imagine being whipped until you bleed and then having spikes driven through your head and then having to carry something that's not heavy but awkward. It's kind of it's gonna be your back Wide. is gonna be super twisty later. You gotta and you wake up really sore. You know that thing where you like help <laughs> you a friend. You move? didn't think you were gonna be that sore or you'd have taken a bath the night before, but <laughs> Yeah, when you're carrying it, you realize you forgot to bend at the knees, you bend to the back and you're thinking I'm gonna regret <laughs> it just turns into a PSA about how to lift your cross properly. <laughs> That's why he's a Christian. He's all about proper cross lifting. Yes, Otherwise, yes, known little as diagrams self- are like a Jesus bending over to pick up the cross, and then there's a, an X through that, and then Jesus <laughs> bending at the knees, and there's a tick. <laughs> Jesus lifting it up over and over again to heavy techno music. It's called CrossFit. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Heat's not here. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, right. No, I get it. I get it. After you guys were so nice about let me make you an over, you can't refuse joke. I, <laughs> I'm dying to know. I'm sorry. I know this is a diversion, but I'm dying to know what it is that Heath said to Pixie in the five minutes that they spoke that left her immediately assuming we were talking about him sticking his dick in a blender. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying to know. Anyway, sorry. But yeah, so he explains to Sal that God really loved his son, but in a killing him kind of way. Yeah, and then he says, would you like to hear more? And it's like, well, you've made all the rest of it sound so great with all the whipping and the crushing. <laughs> yeah, tell me more. And now Sal's pretty much over the heroin. He still coughs occasionally. He has the occasional heroin cough, but he's ready to be a Christian now. <laughs> yep. We get that scene where he's like, it, it, uh, Sam is walking him around or whatever, and he's like, man, this fool says that you can be a Christian just by saying that you're a Christian. It can't be. That would just be stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. You're saying I can't afford not to be a Christian. <laughs> yeah. He goes like, yeah, why would God give away something so valuable for nothing? And I'm like, hey, heroin addict, 
<laughs> you remember how that first hit was free? Remember? They just gave you that one. Well, uh, also, the line, why would he give you so much for nothing? I thought that was a line that's not going to work out well for them because that's what we think of Christians. Like, why are you putting all that effort in for nothing at the yeah. end? There isn't a God. Why would anyone give all this stuff for nothing? Yeah. Yeah, so John's like, uh, our, it's all right here for you, Sally. Hands him a Bible. I so wanted to go into like an Amalekite killing montage. <laughs> See, I love that he has that wages of sin or death moment and he's got to be like, uh, 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 keep reading, keep reading. <laughs> so, so this is literally what happens. Sal is reading and he's like, see, it says the wages of sin or death. And he has to be like, no, but literally says, but come on, Sal, like, this is wrong with the Bible, but that sentence, you think God is threatening you? You're going to like call the cops on him? <laughs> And he, when, when Sal's reading the Bible as well, he, you know, he, they, he says uh, it's first, the first step to accepting Jesus, John says, the first step to accepting Jesus is right here. And it's in the last 20 or so pages of the book, if you look at the book that he's holding. Yeah. But he's quoting Romans, and there's loads of chapters after that. So they must be like one-page chapters. You guys have read the, the, the Bible. Famously, the last few chapters, they're like three words, a, a line, barely <laughs> anything to them. Actually, actually, they are. The, the, those last, the epistles and shit are like super, super quick. It's just revelation that's, that's, that's big. They're the passive aggressive. I'm a really bad Catholic. I was always a really bad Catholic. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, but that's the funny thing. If you've actually read the, the, the Bible, you recognize which, you know, when the Christians are actually being legit about being on the right page of the Bible. Um, and you can always, you can always tell because if they're on the right page of the Bible, they're in the last 23 pages, right? Like they, they're, they're, they're somewhere close to revelation, but not there yet. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And they're really hoping you don't read to Revelation to get <laughs> yeah, to the exactly. eyeball monster. I'm sorry. Does this say eyeball monsters? It's a, it's a... <laughs> yeah, I, I liked it better before you learned to read midway through this scene, Sal. Because early on, you couldn't have read eyeball out loud. You were struggling. Yeah. But weirdly, in this scene, you get really good at reading really quickly. Oh, we have so much. We spend so much of this movie now just listening to a slow reader read bad yeah. stuff <laughs> and he's saying like so you follow this wait am, am i saying the, the guy's name right is it g, g jesus g jesus <laughs> like Sal is the only person in the world who's not heard of jesus at this point <laughs> yeah and he's like oh is this why you're helping me to be like more like jesus and he's like no no, no i get infinite bonus lives in heaven if I if I do this? Oh, are you kidding? I hate you. I want to slam your teeth down your throat. Yeah, All no, right. this is pure <laughs> self-interest. I'd, I'd love for you to stop saying that. No. <laughs> yeah, we have the, the, what does repent mean scene, right? Like the question that every Christian walks around all day hoping someone will ask. Yeah, yeah. Sal doesn't know what the word repent means and can't figure it out from the contextual clues of reading the Bible at the time when it's <laughs> yeah, clear what they mean at this point. Exactly. He needs John to explain it. And and we should be clear, this whole thing of him, like, getting off the heroin and reading the Bible, this goes on for more than 10 minutes of the film. We yeah. are saving you so much time by describing it. But, like, how long is this scene meant to have been set over? Because we keep doing fades, so we're skipping time. But I don't know if it's meant to be hours or days. We just so many fade cuts. I have no idea how long they've been in this room. Yeah, and they're in the same clothes the whole time. Yeah, and I know he's withdrawn from heroin, but I can only imagine that the one thing worse than coming off heroin is coming off heroin while someone's reading the Bible to you. <laughs> so this just is worse, yeah. Jesus. All right, but finally, though, Sal decides he does want to give his life over to Jesus. Oh, there's, there's, there's one bit right at the, near the end of that before he f finally uh, gives in where he looks up and he says, you know, it's hard to believe that you want me. 
And at this point, I like to think he wasn't talking to God. He was talking to the dead baby that he can see crawling across the ceiling <laughs> as he's detoxing. <laughs> yeah, but so he, yeah, he's, he's talking to God. Now he goes, I'm sorry, God, for being a thief, a liar, a hophead. Hophead? <laughs> Hop, they, they just got, these are, that's from a pamphlet that the fucking dare was given out, okay? Nobody ever actually used it. Okay, anyway. But but we're getting climactic goddamn piano. We're almost there, guys. So he turns his life over to Jesus. And then we have this final scene where there are, like, literally every person that they could get to come down for a slice of pizza is there listening to John and all his friends read Bibles. Yeah, you've got the tramps who were previously dead. They're just wearing a slightly different costume. Yeah, you don't notice. exactly. I wanted Crazy Hands Lady to just be in the back as we panned back on the scene doing her mime work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got the lady and the cab driver still arguing about the fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, we pan out to a preacher's wet dream. There are people by the thousand wanting to hear the word of God. Oh, and now we don't have to do that anymore. Okay, so anybody know what the moral of this story is? I'm pretty sure it's don't have your wife and kid killed. <laughs> yep. Either that or get your own fucking blue shirt. I don't know. The moral is it's totally okay to emotionally manipulate vulnerable people who've just suffered a tragedy if you're doing it in the name of Jesus. That is the moral we actually see here. Wow, that actually is the fucking moral. <laughs> yep. It's instructional, damn it. All right. Well, Marsh, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us today. And if our listeners want to hear some more of you, where should they go? You can find me on my podcast I do regularly, which is Skeptics with a K. You can find me on Be Reasonable, which uh, I haven't done for a couple of months, but I, I intend to. I promise you it's coming back. Uh, that's why I'll be uh, talking about things that are wrong, but way more interesting than the wrong that was in this film. Uh, so you can <laughs> check it out. Uh, both those shows are on, uh, are on iTunes and in most places that uh, podcasts live. Awesome. Well, I will say, like, for most podcasts that I like, I, you know, that have an irregular release schedule, I'm always like, hey, you know, put out more episodes, get a regular release schedule. For, for the sake of your mental health, I'm glad that you only do be reasonable when you're up to it, dude. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. A bunch of listeners that heard John Skeptocrat uh, wrote to me and said, man, I tried to do be reasonable. I tried. I really did. I <laughs> Can't. I think Be oh. Reasonable is the only show whose Patreon goes up when we stop putting episodes out. It's, like, <laughs> it's a public service to not publish them. Or they think, oh, he mustn't be doing very well at this point. He, he needs this. He needs this. We need to get him back on his feet. Yeah, right, right. And, and if you don't know, by the way, Be Reasonable is a podcast where Marsh talks to some of the, um, I'm not going to say worst people in, uh, yeah, okay, I'll just go ahead and say it. They're not listening to this shit. Yeah, talks to some <laughs> of the worst people in sort of the anti-skepticism world, flat earthers and uh, you know, people that have detox diets and all of that kind of bullshit and really digs in and tries to figure out what they think. And it's a super interesting thing, although it's frustrating as hell to listen to sometimes. <laughs> Listen to Leo the Lion. Don't, Listen to the Leo. Don't start on Leo. It's, okay, don't start there. That's like it's it's like the Bible, right? We're gonna give you the John three sixteen of be reasonable. Here. Yeah, no, you start on uh, Rodney Clough, the Hollow Earther. That's yes, my favorite yes. of them. Actually, that's my absolute favorite. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, that's going to do it for our review of The Healing, but that's not going to do it for the episode just yet because we still need to renew ourselves for another season. So, Eli, tell us what's on deck. Well, Noah, you are gone next week, so Heath has selected the Christian classic Rocky Five. Oh, when the cat's away, huh? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's totally a Christian movie. <laughs> Okay. 
So with Rocky Five to look forward to, we're going to bring episode 212 to a merciful close. Once again, a huge thanks to Michael Marshall for helping us out today, and a perhaps even huger thanks to all the Patreon donors that help make the show go. If you'd like to count yourself among the ranks, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash godawful, and thereby earn early access to an ad-free version of every episode. You can also help us a ton by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and by sharing the show on all your various social media platforms. And if you enjoyed this show, be sure to check out our sibling shows, The Scathing Atheist, Citation Needed, and The Skeptocrat, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts live. If you have questions, comments, or cinematic suggestions, you can email godawfulmovies at gmail.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robinson takes care of our social media. Our theme song was written and performed by Ryan Slot and Google Drafts on Mars. All of the music was written and performed by our audio engineer, Morgan Clark, and was used with permission. Thanks again for giving us a chunk of your life this week. For Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick, I'm No Illusions, promising to work hard during another chunk next week. Until then, we'll leave you with a Breakfast Club close. God's kill two tramps to convert a rich guy plan went on to solve America's homelessness crisis. <laughs> I, I, I will say, I will say Rudy Giuliani loves those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Nurse Mary went on to decide whether they got to watch the World Series democratically. <laughs> In retrospect, Timmy didn't miss the non-consensual bats. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was inconsistency or whether there was an extra level to this sketch that I just wasn't getting. <laughs> See, you think along my lines, Marsh. I'm the Andy Kaufman of Michael Marshall's life. <laughs> the preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.